0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. An active community of patients with rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases stays connected through social media. Today, I'm talking with a researcher about what this meant during the pandemic. Dr. Katja Reuter is an assistant professor in the Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Upstate who has researched the intersection of digital trends in society and health outcomes. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Reuter. Hello. Now you had a paper about this published in the journal Rheumatology. Please tell us about what you learned on Twitter about this population of patients at the very beginning of the pandemic.
1: So we looked at uh, a, a patients with a couple of different diseases. So, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, lupus. These are some of the diseases that might be uh, familiar to your listeners. And um, what we found um, and for us was very striking is that early on in the pandemic in February and March 2020, um, this population, members of this population of this community on social media, they started to talk about how they changed their health behavior and in a critical way. So they would talk about how they canceled in person, medical and lab monitoring appointments, how they would ration their medication and for these patients this can be critical it can affect how they experience their disease it can throw them back into into flares for example
0: were they reacting to the news of the pandemic were they was it were they panicking
1: absolutely i think in the in the data we could see that um part of what they were reacting to was definitely the the limited information that came out in terms of guidelines i think at the time in february they were almost no guidelines. Um, And they were simply responding to the news, to news articles. They discussed um, uh, TV um, sections. So um, they were definitely responding to the news. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I know you're not a medical doctor, you're a, a PhD, but skipping medical appointments in this population or rationing medicines could be dangerous for some of these people, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, If you take the example of the lupus patients, for example, um, there's a particular drug that um, was discussed in the news a lot, um, hydroxychloroquine, if you remember. And uh, this is a drug that is important to uh, patients with several autoimmune diseases, but um, especially also um, for people with lupus, it it plays an important role in their treatment plans. what it does, is it reduces the risk of lupus patients to experience flares so flares for those who don't know the the disease um, is a period where these patients experience worsening symptoms. So, it's all of a sudden, and they feel very ill. They might have fever, swollen joints. It's very painful. They feel very tired. Um, so, just to, to name a few um um symptoms that they experience and the medication helps them to to avoid to, re- to reduce the risk of these flares so it's very important for them but at the time um this particular drug got a lot of attention also in the media and because all of a sudden there were clinical clinical trials that tested hydroxychloroquine in the context of treating covid-19 the covid-19 disease um it was diverted to hospitals and clinical trials. So all of a sudden there was not enough for these patients. And so you could tell from the data that we looked at that they were very anxious, they didn't know what to do. Um, And I think we also saw, we can say, that there was to some extent a lack of communication early on in the pandemic with their healthcare providers. So they simply decided I'm going to rationing, I'm going to ration my medication.
0: And so you noticed these sort of conversations on Twitter, How did you go about putting your study together from, from there? And you focused on Twitter conversations, but some of these took place in, on other platforms
1: as well, right? So we focused on Twitter data in particular. Um, Twitter is a good platform because the data is publicly available. Um, and when we do this kind of work, um, we, we use publicly available um, patient-reported Data, right? This is patient reported health data. Sometimes it's referred to as real world evidence. And so we, we make a point to use publicly available data. And so what we did is we simply on a, on a regular basis between February and July, we mined Twitter. So this means that we extract, um, Twitter posts, um, um, with certain keywords from Twitter and we analyze these and we focused on on messages from from people. Um, within this disease community that talked about COVID and um, particular R&D. So, for example, you have hashtags like "room" or rheumatoid arthritis or RA, and these hashtags are used widely within this community. It's a very steady community. They talk to each other, and this is how they relate their posts to, to this community.
0: So the conversation between these people, uh, some of it, I mean, could be beneficial, right? Um, how do you mean beneficial? Yeah well uh could they help one another with good advice that that makes sense versus uh getting getting people worried about things that maybe you're not necessarily 100% true
1: absolutely i think it's uh this is what we saw it's a very supportive community they um for example when they talked about rationing their medication um they were very supportive of each other. Um, I remember there were a couple of posts that talked about offering to share their medication with them. And uh, I think it's, it's it's a true support system for them. So that was very apparent from the data.
0: Do you think this is unique to a global crisis like the pandemic, or do you think there are other important things that we could learn about trends in other patient populations by paying attention to social media?
1: Um, I think this is not something that is unique to the pandemic. So, um, social media surveillance data, we call this type of data also surveillance data, has been actually used by surveillance researchers, public health researchers, um, um, to a large extent. So, they have, for example, looked into different health topics like influenza. Um, schizophrenia um, in into suicides. So this has been done for a couple of years now, even though the field is still evolving and we don't even have standards to do this kind of research. but it's it's a very active field and very interesting. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from this data. The fact that um, there are different patient communities, for example, cancer survivors, Um, People who have autism uh, people with psoriasis with different types of diseases across the spectrum, right? That they that they share these platforms and they share. How they experience the disease, Um, the side effects, for example, of medications, how they experience treatments is can be very valuable. It's just not a data type that is commonly and widely used in clinical research. This is Upstate's
0: HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Katja Reuter. She's a research assistant professor in Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine. And we talked about a study she did looking at tweets from people with a rheumatic or musculoskeletal disease early on during the pandemic. Now, you focused a lot of your research on health communications and gaining insights from patient generated health data. Do you think social media is being used to its fullest potential?
1: Um, I I wouldn't say so. I think um, that uh, in in the context of research and healthcare, um, we could use this data. um, Much more broadly uh, to really reach its full potential. I don't think we do that yet, but I think there are or there have been great developments as I mentioned earlier. I think the fact that public health um, researchers also in the context of smoking this type of data source has been very insightful right to learn about how for example adolescents are using electronic cigarettes for example so i think there is a lot of movement and this data has been very useful to learn from from different communities and also not only patient communities Um, but i think um, the fact that we don't have standards to do this kind of research for example um, that we don't have reporting guidelines, which are really important when you do research, that makes uh, this type of research a little bit um, challenging. So we, we need to work on, on these parts. And as I said, in clinical research, there's a lot of reluctance to even rely, <laughs> rely on this type of data, right? I mean, it's it's something that can be very valuable. It's data that comes directly from those who experience the disease. But at the same time, it's not the traditional approach. The traditional approach is that you listen to the healthcare professionals um and that's what i like about um working with this type of data because it 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 brings a perspective the patient voice into the conversation in a much in a in a different way in a non-traditional way
0: and you mentioned some other patient groups that are active in social media cancer survivors and you know a lot of different diseases have sort of support groups that have a presence on facebook or twitter or or some of the others do do these groups is there any concern that they're setting aside um their privacy basically by being active on social media talking about a disease and their symptoms and what they're experiencing
1: yeah that's a that's a great question i think to some extent they actually do they they have set aside privacy concerns and we saw this um even within other research projects um where patients they discuss um to a great detail, they discuss how they experience the disease, what medications they take. Uh, Even spouses talk about their um, their loved ones um, who might have cancer. Um, This is uh, other types of research that I do. Um, And so uh, we remind them, if if this is part of a research study, we remind them that um, uh, this is actually a breach of their privacy, that they should take these um, comments down. But um, I think it's something that we commonly see, and, and usually under normal circumstances, this information should be protected and private, but within these communities, and sometimes they are private, uh, like uh, in a private Facebook group, um, but on Twitter, they're public. So it's a, there's a different degree to, to what kind of privacy risk it is on Twitter when you compare it to Facebook, for example.
0: Have you seen other researchers um, tapping into these patient populations to, um, for instance, maybe if they're looking for participants for a clinical trial, this would be sort of a a community that maybe, you know, would be full of a lot of people that might be potential volunteers. Have you seen other researchers making use of that?
1: So what we certainly see is that researchers increasingly use social media to recruit for clinical studies and health research in general, Um, there's a clear trend. Um, and I think this trend is likely to grow because recruitment um, is, is one of the major challenges to successful clinical trials. So a large percentage of trials, they fail because they cannot recruit enough participants, which is very challenging. And it poses risks to the investment, right? And it poses risks to the patients that have already invested in a certain clinical trial. Um, and um, what, um, what most studies do is they use either paid advertisements Um, very similar to any marketing firm, or they use organic messages, although I should say that some platforms like Twitter and Pinterest, for example, they, um, don't permit. They don't, they don't allow these types of advertisements of clinical studies. Um, and then there are other platforms that, um. Allow it with with, uh, moderation built in. So, for example, Facebook, you would have to get your approval for your post. Um, and this changes regularly. So, um. Tomorrow, what I just said might not be true anymore because they changed their terms and conditions, but it is not possible on any platform in, in the same way, on every platform in the same way. But the surveillance data that we are talking about right now, this type of patient reported outcome data, that's used less in recruitment, um, which means that uh, um, we don't have enough experience with how people react to being targeted just because of what they said some of my research actually um, has focused on using this type of data to identify engage and recruit cancer patients in clinical trials and this this paper is currently under review but what we found is um that we can actually identify and engage them but it's very hard to recruit them into clinical trials and it depends a lot on on what you want from them right a survey study is very different from getting them to come to a side and join a clinical trial uh, and so i think this this kind of research is still in its infancy
0: well this has been very interesting thank you to dr Castor reuter a research assistant professor in upstate's department of public health and preventive medicine i'm amber smith for upstate's podcast and radio talk show healthlink on air